the majority of survivors of sex trafficking are not going to self-identify. While there are many reasons that they won't ask for help, one of the most common is trauma bonding with their trafficker. Another common reason is when they've asked for help in the past, no one believed them. Neither of these should change our response to suspected trafficking. Trafficking presents itself in many different ways, and we all need to be on watch to help eradicate sex trafficking. First and foremost, do not talk to, approach, or engage a suspected trafficker. This could present significant risk of severe beatings or even death for the victims being trafficked. And it could also put you in danger if the trafficker feels you're a threat to their business. You may encounter a suspected trafficking situation or an active trafficking situation. Both are important to report. Anytime you encounter a situation where you suspect sex trafficking, you should report a tip to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which can be done by calling 1-888-373-7888 or texting HELP or INFO to BE FREE. If you witness an active trafficking situation, you should immediately call law enforcement. An active situation is where you can provide actionable information to law enforcement, like witnessing child abuse in conjunction with other indicators of sex trafficking as previously reviewed throughout the training. When you see the signs and report sex trafficking, it empowers law enforcement to do their job more effectively by identifying trafficking patterns, documenting suspicious activity, which ultimately leads to increased victim identification. Here it is again. If someone needs help, immediately call 911. For a suspected trafficking situation, report a tip to the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP to be free. Next, let's review 10 common signs and indicators. One, an individual who disassociates or seems to be disconnected from the world around them. Two mental health disorders like PTSD. Three, drug or alcohol dependence. Four, hypersexualized behavior or dress that's inappropriate for that time of year. Five, overly protective of phone or has two phones. Six, extreme reaction to people or experiences. Seven, tattoo or branding that stands out. Eight, physical abuse. Nine, unhealthy relationship with apparent abuse. 10, a shift in behavior and isolating themselves from former relationships. Ultimately, you're never going to be at fault for reporting a trafficking situation, regardless of the outcome. But you will always wonder about that individual if you don't make the call. Like the Attorney General of Utah, Sean Reyes said, we would rather go through 10 cases and have all 10 of them not turn out to be human trafficking than miss one case. This is a segment from the I'm On Watch Sex Trafficking Awareness Training. And here's Julie sharing her story. And I was actually at the end of my marriage, a 12-year marriage where I had three children. I was teaching preschool, and a father of one of my preschool students, well, he was grooming me, but I didn't know it at the time, of course. And he began offering support and friendship as I navigated this divorce. And a few weeks later, he ended up raping me and telling me that I would be taking trips with him throughout the nation. 
that I didn't have a choice in the matter, that he would go to my ex-husband and work with him to get custody of my children, which in fact he, he actually did. And I did lose custody for about a year of my kids and then had to work to get it back. But I was trafficked for about five months throughout all the states here in the West, even across the U.S.-Mexican border, out of my home even. This was happening in my neighborhood. This was happening in other nice neighborhoods. It took somebody from the outside. Somebody spotted me and thought something was not right about the situation and vocalized that to me. And I was able to trust him and tell him that I needed help. And he provided that help for me. And that is how I ultimately escaped. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders. Joining me today, Jake Neely, Executive Director of the Malouf Foundation, and Julie Whitehead, Survivor, Leader, and Advisory Board Member of the Malouf Foundation. January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Welcome back from the Maloof Foundation. We have Jake Neely, who is the executive director, and Julie Whitehead, a survivor, leader, and advisory board member of the foundation. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's good to have you back. I'm sure that you have some new things to talk to us about. Jake, start off by telling us about the Maloof Foundation and your mission. This is an amazing time to talk. January is Human Trafficking Awareness and Prevention Month. As part of our mission, really work to confront child sexual exploitation, which involves human trafficking. Our focus is on healing, advocacy, and education. We're based out of Utah, but we work nationwide. At the beginning of last year, we joined forces with the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. So they became a part of our group. We're really excited to expand our impact, work with individuals, families, groups, organizations on this overall mission to confront child exploitation across the United States through these efforts of education, healing, and advocacy. I'm so glad to hear that. I am a big fan of Elizabeth Smart's podcast and the awareness that she brings. In what capacity does your foundation work with survivors? So survivor leadership is very important across the board to what we do from our education initiatives to advocacy and, and then healing. Their voices really make the biggest impact with lived experience. We learn in ways that we couldn't learn otherwise. We have a formalized survivor advisory board and Julie sits on that board. She's the first member of our advisory board. And she's really helped to drive and shape some of our initiatives, including on watch which her story and her experiences are depicted. And she's helped to educate people about her experience as a lived survivor with lived experience in the human trafficking world. It's really helped people to understand what things really look like. We can read books, we can see things on the news. Obviously we're in a space right now where we, where we can hear things and talk about it, but that lived experience is a critical component to really knowing and having a, a deeper understanding that leads to action and stopping the problem. I'm really anxious to hear Julie's story again, but just before we talk about her story in that program, give us a quick overview. OnWatch is a free online training that anybody can do at IamOnWatch.org. OnWatch teaches people how to spot, report, and prevent sex trafficking, and it's focused in the United States. So that's a key component. We know trafficking happens all over the world, unfortunately, and it is happening right here in the United States. A key thing of OnWatch is that you will learn what it looks like 
right here where you live, work and play. It takes about an hour to complete if you do it in one sitting. Most people actually split it up over three different sessions. They'll do a few modules and then come back and do a few more. You could do one module at a time, five minutes a day for 10 days. Some people do that. But through the training, Julie, uh, like I said, among other individuals with lived experiences share their stories and what we can do as community members, friends, family, to recognize what's happening, uh, to see the signs, and then build confidence and empowerment in reporting. I highly recommend this training. And I was thinking when you said 10 modules in 10 days, I have a catchphrase. I always say reduce it to the ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> a module a day. It's such a good training. And in my opinion, I think everybody needs to watch it because we need to know that this goes on. We can't be putting our head in the sand and act like it is an overseas issue. So Julie, I'm so anxious to hear your story again. I was actually sexually abused as a child and then later got into a marriage that was domestically violent. I say that because that kind of put me on a path where the end result wasn't necessarily trafficking across the board, but I was definitely, I had some vulnerabilities built up for that. I was used to tolerating abuse, not expecting the best treatment from men, used to having men use my body as they wanted to. And so I kind of went into this in that situation. I was actually at the end of my marriage, a 12-year marriage where I had three children. I was teaching preschool and a father of one of my preschool students, well, he was grooming me, but I didn't know it at the time, of course. And he began offering support and friendship as I navigated this divorce. And a few weeks later, he ended up raping me and telling me that I would be taking trips with him throughout the nation that I didn't have a choice in the matter, that he would go to my ex-husband and work with him to get custody of my children, which in fact he actually did. And I did lose custody for about a year of my kids and then had to work to get it back. But I was trafficked for about five months throughout all the states here in the West, even across the U.S.-Mexican border. Out of my home even, this was happening in my neighborhood. This was happening in other nice neighborhoods. It took somebody from the outside. Somebody spotted me and thought something was not right about the situation and vocalized that to me. And I was able to trust him and tell him that I needed help. And he provided that help for me. And that is how I ultimately escaped. Your story amazes me on so many levels. It's hard to look at you and think that you went through that. I think it's easy to get an idea of not in my neighborhood, but the fact that you said just in the neighborhood and two things, number one, you didn't know that's what was happening to you. You didn't understand. And so that's why I think this awareness is so great because this could be happening to people and uh, they don't even know mm -hmm. that they need to get out or get away. So I'm so glad that you were so willing to share your story. What's been your experience now working with the Malo Foundation? Well, the foundation's been amazing. So I actually went to therapy. I went to Tennessee for 13 months and then landed in Boston for about five years. I was away from my, my kids, my husband, everything while I sought therapy. When I was in Boston, I would make little weekend trips home to Utah. I just thought there's no way that I can live there because of all the reminders and just can't drive down the street without seeing a place that I was at with my trafficker and just terrible memories. But then on a visit home, my husband had actually found the foundation 
and he introduced me to them and they've made such a huge difference in my ability to feel like I could come home to Utah. There's a force to be reckoned with here. Like they're working towards ending trafficking. They're working towards fighting it and saving survivors and, and letting survivors use their voices and their stories to heal and to spread awareness. So they've really made a big difference in my healing and my ability to continue. And what initiatives have you been involved with personally with the foundation? I worked with the On Watch chain, which we've already mentioned. I was actually able to be on set during the filming of that, which was amazing. The cast and the the filming crew, they were so diligent about making sure that my story was told in the right way, that it was accurate, that I felt good about it. And so that was really amazing. They were great that way. Another one that I've been helping on is the Restorative Care Center that the Maloof Foundation is sponsoring. That's in the works. It's in the early stages. Jake can tell you more about that, but I've been giving some advice. Obviously, I had experience with restorative care, but it was really difficult. I had to leave Utah because I couldn't find anything here. Searched the nation really to end up in Tennessee as something that I thought would be doable and it ended up being more harmful than good and then landed in Boston for five years. So it was really difficult finding the help that I needed and Maloof's dedicated to making that easier for survivors. I think that's such a good point that you get out of it and now you have to get the counseling and get the help to be able to integrate yourself back into life and to think that you guys are going to have this center that is going to be able to help women. And like you said, you thought you were going someplace for something and it didn't turn out to be that. So Jake, can you tell us more about the restorative center? It is like Julie said, in the early stages of development, we are starting in Utah where we're based and where Julie's healing journey should have taken place that we want to take place for the individuals who live here or in the surrounding areas. We're really focused on primarily the female population and especially those in earlier stages of trafficking in the teen years, but even up to early adulthood. But healing looks different for each individual. We've been recruiting and doing research over the last year heavily, but even the last two or three years as we've worked with, supported, helped fund other restorative care centers across the United States, that's really led to some new approaches, understanding what approaches are currently working, and then developing those as we move forward. But the most important thing that we feel as we develop this program is to meet people where they are. Of course, there is programming that's centric around talk therapy and equine therapy and various types of educational opportunities, vocational learning, job opportunities. That's all important. But if you're in a place where a job opportunity isn't going to be the best, we can meet you at that place and help you work toward that. Whereas some individuals have a stable living environment, they've got a good place to stay. Maybe there's a little bit of assistance needed there. Their regular talk therapy is really what's going to help things move forward. We're looking at more as we're developing a comprehensive case management model that can really align with needs and help people grow from there at the pace with which they're comfortable. I love how it sounds like it's really about the survivor and what they need, rather that you're not trying to fit them in a program, you're trying to find a program that fits around them. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And a program and people support services, I mean, I think that's 
the really important component. At the end of the day, as I talked earlier about the impact that we have from the survivor community, this is what we've been hearing across the board. A lot of times we'll hear something like, I just needed a friend. I needed somebody to help build these pieces together, help me find all the pieces. And unfortunately, on the other side, where people like Julie have enough resilience to just plow forward and figure that out on their own, that's amazing. And we want to help facilitate the best of that, but then also come alongside someone who isn't quite ready for that level of strong pursuing of their own healing journey. When I think about people, for instance, in recovery, they want to work with someone who's been there, done that. So the fact that they see somebody who is being able to make a life for themselves after, it's going to give them a lot of hope. Absolutely. And this is something that we feel like can grow and scale into other areas. Salt Lake City is, is definitely not the only area where this happens, and it's not the only area where there's a need. There are great organizations doing things in various places throughout the United States, but there is a great need for more. And so we hope that through collaborations with other organizations, other people, that we can all rise the tide together. And there, there is a very good sense of community among all the organizations doing this work. We're excited to be a part of that and to help that grow across the United States. So as you mentioned, January... Human Trafficking Prevention and Awareness Month. What is your foundation doing to highlight that this month? Our experience with human trafficking started with awareness. We didn't know it was happening. When we found out it was happening, it was one of those things you just don't dismiss and you can't. On watch is a really great answer. People can have to not just create awareness, but move beyond awareness to action where you're, you really understand what's going on and you can help someone. And so through amazing donors, good corporate partners on watch is, and will be free forever for someone to really take in some of the best, highest quality materials to understand. So IamOnWatch.org is the big focus for us during the month of January. And I know in the training, you talk a lot about if you see something, say something. And I know a philosophy you have is that you would rather get 100 calls that are wrong than miss one that is real. How does someone report suspected trafficking? The first way is to call local law enforcement, 911. So if somebody appears in immediate danger, you see with your own eyes, someone that needs help, call 911. That's the first place to go. In addition to that, we encourage people to call the National Human Trafficking Prevention Hotline. That phone number, if you look up trafficking hotline on Google, you'll find it. For reference, that number is 888-373-7888. That's an important number to have. That number is good. That will give a tip that will go to your local law enforcement if there's not someone that you are seeing live. Maybe you saw something a couple days ago or there was a hotel that you were staying in over the weekend, something just wasn't right there and you want to call a few days later, this is the place to do it. Maybe you see something online. This is the place to do it. Sometimes people want to be a superhero and they want to get involved, but that's not always the best tactic. What is the best thing? If you see someone that's in danger, do you jump in? Do you just make the phone call? What do you recommend? Obviously, use your best judgment. Follow your gut. We don't encourage people to jump in front of somebody to get into a situation that's dangerous. Calling law enforcement is the best answer. Through OnWatch, through all these things, no community member is expected to be the expert. You don't have to know exactly what's going on. You don't have to memorize all the signs. Really what OnWatch does is create enough awareness 
so that you feel comfortable and empowered that you can simply make a call to the experts. And of course, any information that you give, it will be helpful in that. We don't recommend putting yourself in an unsafe situation because law enforcement will respond quickly. So Julie, what does this month mean to you as a survivor? It's really amazing. I mean, there's a whole month dedicated to something that for me happened behind closed doors and in the dark. On the flip side, I was still in my community and still going to the grocery store and taking my kids to PTA meetings and school events and things. So I was in my community, but this still happened to me. And it was like in the shadows. And so I think that the month of January just really brings that out of the shadows and brings it into light. And you can't look for something that you don't know exists. And so you have to know about trafficking and know that it's happening and be aware that it's happening in your community before you'll start to see the signs of it. And then like Jake said, if you can take a training, then all the better. It's so meaningful to me that people are looking out for others and that maybe they'll see someone that's being trafficked or maybe even before they're being trafficked and be able to stop that. And even you mentioned partnering with Elizabeth Smart. Somebody spotted her and she denied it because she thought she was going to get hurt. But the person who did spot her called the police, even though it took them a while to get her to finally say she was who she was. So when you think about people who are being trafficked, they're also maybe being brainwashed and they're scared and they may be hurt. And so to think that there is help. So two things come to mind. One is somebody listening might heard your story and go, oh my gosh, that's happening to me. What's their next best step? The National Human Trafficking Hotline is a place where somebody can call and say, hey, something's going on. I don't know what it is. One interesting thing that you mentioned and that Julie mentioned earlier, most people who experience trafficking don't call it trafficking. I don't know that I've ever met someone who had recently experienced trafficking who called it that. I've never heard that. I've heard the words, I'm an escort, or sometimes you hear the word prostitution. Often that's the case. If you are experiencing prostitution and you don't want to be, if you're forced into being an escort, that could be trafficking and you can absolutely call the human trafficking hotline. In addition to that, there's a lot of services in most areas where people can get help. And so a really easy place is to do a Google search and look up human trafficking services. And the other word is boyfriend. I work with the homeless and they think these guys are their boyfriends. Yep. What is your advocacy work. What's next for you, Julie? I plan on continuing my work with the Mulu Foundation, mostly in the form of speaking. It's so important to me to spread awareness because I think some of us, a lot of us, most of us maybe, we hear about trafficking and you might even hear my story and you'll still think that's in someone else's neighborhood. That's not my neighbor, but this could literally be the neighbor next door to you, the librarian at your kid's school, your sister, your aunt, your cousin. This could be anybody that you know or that you see every day at a regular basis. This can be happening. And so I think awareness is huge. Continuing to share my story and just spread that message of awareness is number one for me. I'm also in the finishing stages of writing a book about my experiences. And that's been really interesting and really helpful in a lot of ways towards my healing. So that will be coming out this spring. I'll be on the wait list to get that book. Jake, can you talk a little about Stranger Danger? As individuals and communities, we're very important to one another. Early on, when we first met Julie, one of the things that she said that was so profound to me is that 
the people who were most likely to notice her in her situation were the strangers, were the people that she didn't know. It's in a lot of ways because individuals who are trafficking somebody else, they're not just going through this grooming process with the individual they're trafficking. They're, they're doing it with other people around them so that it doesn't right off the bat go from zero to 60 miles an hour. There's a, a slight progression to things. The big thing that was said across the board is that a lot of times the stranger that an individual will see is in a place that's very different than a norm. And it's easier to see the signs with that, with that person. Unfortunately, most cases of trafficking occur between uh, an individual that they know, whether that is a family member, a boyfriend that you mentioned, that is the most likely scenario, but family unfortunately is 40 to 50% of cases in the United States of, of trafficking. Somebody stepson, stepdaughter, they're selling them for drugs or for a place to stay or for money. I feel like it's that G.I. Joe cartoon. Do you remember that? Knowing is half the battle. Yeah. And so I love that you're doing this awareness training because I feel like it gives an opportunity for people to at least kind of open their mind to, oh my goodness, this something could be happening so that when they do see something and feel off about it, they can go, oh, wait, I, I read something. I saw something about this and and they can have a better idea of what to do. Because with Julie, somebody saw you and saw something wasn't right. And thank goodness they were brave enough to, to do what they did to help you get help. So I think that's so amazing. And in that circumstance, I would say that they were not an a human trafficking expert, but they saw that something just didn't feel right. They asked in a, in a kind, polite way. That's what it's all about. So where can people go to learn more or get involved? So the first place, like I said, I am on watch.org. Just spell it out. I am on watch.org. You can go there, take the training, learn more. And then of course, if you want to learn more about all the work of Maloof Foundation, you can go to maloofoundation.org. Why don't you spell that for us? Yeah. M is in Mary, A-L-O-U-F, and then foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. And Julie, when your book is done, we're going to have you back on again. <laughs> okay, great. So hopefully in April. Thank you so much for being on the show again. I'm on watch or the maloofoundation.org to find out more. So Julie, thank you so much for being with us. And Jake, thank you. And uh, let's do this again in a few months. Thank okay, you. Thank you so much. I'm Lori Hardy. And thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people who are making a difference.